Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3, how it is fatal for man to be alone, and it's not good for man to be alone in marriage, and also without a relationship with God. This message is available on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. It's there available for free listening and free download, and also available at friendshipwithgod.org for free listening and free download. You can also donate to support this Bible teaching radio program at friendshipwithgod.org or call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Father, thank you so much for being for us, Lord, our great what we are not. Lord, our righteousness. We are not righteous, you are our righteousness. Lord, we are unworthy, you are worthy. Lord, we are sinners, you are pure. And this morning, Lord, we pray that as we read this passage here this morning, you would, Lord, work in our hearts to draw us closer to yourself, to be more united to the Lord Jesus Christ when we leave today than when we came. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis 3. Now, verse 9. And the Lord God called Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, wherever I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying that thou shalt not eat it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou, was thou taken, and dust thou art, dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his name Eve, because she is the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, what we saw last time we were together was uh, something very important that we wanted to focus on a little bit, which was something that God identified about man in Genesis 2.18, the chapter before. Because there in that verse, the Lord God said something, the first time he had said that something wasn't good, and that was not good that man should be alone. And then he made a helpmate for him. Those words, though, it's not good that man should be alone, are very important description of man. Man alone, that's not good. That's what he was saying here. That's a description of every man. God has made man, and it's not good for man to be alone. And that statement there, that was made before God gave man the human companion that he did. It wasn't good for man to be alone from a close human companionship, and so he made the woman. But those words, it's not good for man to be alone, were true in a more fundamental way because... What we saw was that as soon as God made man from the dust, before he opened his eyes, 
in those 11 verses before this statement in Genesis 2-7, before he opened his eyes, it reads like this, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now stop, at that point you stop. Before you continue, you could say at that point, though it's not written, you could say, and it would not have been good for a man to be alone from God. So what did God do? He breathed into him the breath of life. He breathed into him. And so he became a living soul. So it was so foremost not good for man to be alone from God that it was foremost fatal for man to be alone from God. And so at that very moment that God created man, God, Elohim God, breathed his person into God. He breathed his Ruach Elohim, his spirit of God, into man. And the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was the spirit of life. And therefore, man became a living soul. What's that mean? Without God breathing into him his person, the spirit of life, man would have been a dead soul, but man was a living soul. And so, for a man to be alone from God was fatal. It was death for man. And so God breathed his spirit of life. With the presence of God inside Adam, inside man, man became a friend of God. Man was a friend of God. And he had, from his, from his very start, he possessed his greatest treasure. Man had his greatest treasure. He could say with Paul in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Paul called him in Galatians uh, 1.16, his son in me. Please, to me. please God to set me from the womb to reveal his son in me. He also called him in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, this treasure in an earthen vessel. And Peter called him in 1 Peter 1, 11, the spirit of Christ, which was in them, speaking of the prophets, which was in them. It was so not good for a man to be alone from God. It was so not good for a man to be separated from God. It was so fatal for man to be separated from God, that that's where the devil took his careful aim, right there. And his whole goal in Genesis 3 is to drive that wedge, to drive that wedge and to bring about that separation. Why? Because with that separation, death would come. Death. And that was his goal. Now, as we saw that, and what did we see? What did we see God do when man had separated himself from God through disobedience? Did we see a God of anger? Did we see a God of wrath? Did we see a God of vengeance? We didn't see that. As soon as that fatal separation occurred and from between man and God, that fatal aloneness from God, what did we see God do? He springs into action. God sprung into action. And what we saw him do is we didn't see the God of anger and vengeance and wrath, but we saw the God of care and concern spring into action. And then he says, and he starts off with the question, where art thou? Where art thou? We saw God humble himself to seek Adam. We saw God who was ready to leave the 90 and 9 and go find his one Adam sheep that had gone astray. And so now, when you look again at at Genesis 2.18, and you think about how this verse describes what's happening in chapter 3, it is not good that man should be alone. And you could say, It's not good that man should be alone from me. I'll make a way for him to return to me. 
I'll make a way. That's what Genesis 3 is all about. It's a way that God did make for man to return. That's, that's a hero. That's our hero. That's God. Well, that's why we say El Gabor. We say God, our hero, who did this. That's something to worship God for. So he made this way for man to return. And the way for man to return was a way called the way of repentance. The way of repentance. And the way of repentance, as we saw, involves three parts. And unless anybody doesn't get these three parts right, they can't repent. And if they don't repent, the Lord Jesus Christ was very clear. And he said, unless you repent, you perish. You'll all likewise perish. The first test or the first part of repentance in verse 9, the where art thou, the double meaning of the where art thou, is the mirror test. We saw last week from Revelation 3.17 that there was a mirror and man looks in the mirror and he sees one of two pictures in this mirror. Okay, And And what he sees determines whether or not he passes the mirror test. What's the mirror test? Revelation 3.17. The first thing he sees that is described in that verse is the failure. He says, because thou, it doesn't say look in the mirror, but you can say that if you want. I like to say that. Because when you look in the mirror, you know. Anyway, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Okay, now that's failure. Okay, that te- the, the, te- the mirror, he just failed the mirror test. That man who says that just failed the mirror test, okay? There's the other t- side, he says, and you look in the mirror and, and you say, and no, it's not that, and you see, thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If a person looks in the mirror and sees that picture of himself, he passed the first step in the repentance path. Now, so the question is, for any person, how do you see yourself? You see yourself as rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing? God says, I can't help you. You got to go someplace else. You won't get help anywhere, as a matter of fact. But you failed. So that's the first step. Or do you see yourself as poor and miserable, blind, and, and naked? Oh, then God can help you. God can help you. You've passed. For so many, the where are you? Do you feel the heat of the shame and the guilt and the nakedness before God? And their answer is, no, the only heat I feel is this guy standing at my screen door saying that if I just repeat these words here, I'm not going to go to hell and I'll go to heaven. And so I feel that heat. I want him to leave. Okay, that's not the same thing. So the, the W here of the where art thou or the mere test is very, very important. Second test in verse 11, who told thee? It's the who test. The who test here is the question here, who have you sinned against? Who have you sinned against? Well, if you say, well, I, I really only sinned against my fellow man. I mean, you know, if I hurt somebody, I sin. If I didn't hurt anybody, I didn't sin. If I didn't do to them like I would do to myself, then I sin. That's a failure of that test. Didn't pass that test. Because it's God. Before God, they were naked. The who is the God. It's the same like David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. So that's a very important test for the path to repentance. The second part is to see that it's against God personally that the sin was committed. And then the last part we saw last week is the W of the what. What test? And that's in verse 11 where he said, he didn't say what, but he said, did you do this? Did you? He put the words right in Adam's mouth. said, Adam, 
Can't you get it straight? I've given you the words of your confession. I ate of the tree which thou commandest me not to eat of. That's all he had to say. But he had to put in the Eve part. He couldn't resist it. He had to blame Eve. So this is the what test. Lord, please forgive me for being full of fear. Did he pass the test? No, he fails. That's the what test. Please forgive me for all the shame I feel. Failure. Please forgive me for my depression. Failure. Why? Those are not confessions of sin. Those are the confessions of the consequences of sin. But, Lord, I ate from the tree that you told me not to eat of. Lord, I did the deed. Lord, I sinned against you. I broke the Ten Commandments. That's the confession. That's the what. That's the what test. To repent, you got to go back to where the crime happened. Not the consequences of it. you got to go back to where it happened and say, I'm sorry I did that, and if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it. That's, that's the what test. So you got to have three parts to pass the road to repentance. You pass those three parts, those tests, and God says, well, I can help you now. You, you understand that you are poor, miserable, blind, naked, and wretched, and, and every other kind of adjective you want to use, that's fine. Okay, you're bankrupt. Okay, I can help you. You understand that you sinned against me because I'm the author of morality and righteousness. Okay, I can help you. You understand what you did wrong. You're framing your actions and you're, you're describing, I did this, which was in disobedience. All right now, God says, now we can start. And that's wonderful. Now, <clears throat> we come to verse 321, where it says, And unto Adam and also... And to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and he clothed them. Now I want you to picture this scene. Picture this. Adam's standing there and on his face, I want you to picture that he's thinking about what has just happened, right? The Lord God made coats of skin for him and clothed them. That's amazing. And he's standing there with one word when you got the picture in your mind. Picture the word amazement. Adam is standing there in amazement. There's amazement on his face. Now, why is Adam amazed? Well, keep your place here in Genesis 3 and turn to Luke 19.10. But keep your place in Genesis 3. So use some of your fingers there, one finger for there. Okay, Luke 19.10, you got it? Here in Luke 19.10, there's the mission statement for the Lord Jesus Christ. Describing himself as the Son of Man, he says, he says, He came. The Son of Man is come. And he describes what he said here. He said, he's described why he came. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, you keep your finger on that verse there. Okay, right where we are. All right, you flip back to Genesis 3, and you look at verse 9, and you see those words. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, let a few words in that verse of, of 11 just really sink in. The words called unto Adam and the words said unto him. And let those you going to sink in. The Lord called unto Adam and he's pointing at Adam. And the Lord said unto him. See, God went after Adam. And that in mind, Now, you think about Luke 19.10. The Son of Man is come to seek, to go after. 
And that's what we see the Lord Jesus Christ doing in Genesis. The Lord Jesus Christ came to seek lost Adam. And that's what we see in Luke. The Lord Jesus Christ came to seek lost Zacchaeus. And what have we seen? So when you look at these two, these are thousands of years separated from time, but that's no problem because Hebrews 13.8 says the Jesus Christ, he's the same. Yesterday, today, forever. Okay, now flip back to, keep your place in Luke. Don't lose that one. Flip back to Genesis 3.21 and let these words now sink in about what God did. I remember he says, called unto Adam. Now it says, unto Adam. Very directive. And to his wife did the Lord God make coats and clothe them. Now what happened? They were exposed. They needed to be saved from their exposure. And so God saved them from their exposure. And now with that in mind, you flip back to Luke here, and you see, and just read the second part of the verse and to save that which is lost. See? So what do you see in Genesis? You see the Lord Jesus Christ coming to save Adam and his wife. Lost Adam and his wife. And what do you see in Luke? You see the same Lord Jesus Christ coming to save lost Zacchaeus. See? Again, same yesterday, today, and forever. So Adam's standing there, and he's amazed. And there's a lot of things that's going on in Adam's mind. It's a lot to process in a short amount of time. But he's just amazed because he just understood God tracked him down. He was running. He was the fugitive. He was trying to hide. But he just understood God tracked me down. And, he, and, he, and then he understood God saved me from my nakedness. He saved me from my nakedness. And he's sitting there amazed because he understood that, you know, I just did this dirty against God. And I'm running away from God. And God comes and tracks me down and saves me. And you know what he's impressed with? The truth of Romans 5.8. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we yet were doing dirty to God, while we yet were running away as fugitives like Adam from God, he died for us. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's another reason why Adam is just so amazed. Because he's starting to think about it, and he realized that, uh, now what did I just do to get myself clothed? You know, he's looking at his clothes, and he's thinking, I I just went to a lot of work. You know, I had to go get the fig leaves. It was a lot of work. You got to go get the fig leaves. You had to, I don't know, cut them, make them, whatever, tell Eve to do it. And then sew them together, make the aprons, get the size right. Who knows what they look like? And, you know, it was a lot of work. And he's kind of standing there, and he's sort of looking at all of that work on the ground there, you know, kind of like all crumpled up and everything. And instead, he's looking at his nice clothes. And he's asking himself, what did I do to get this? Well, I had to do a lot of work to get that. What did I do to get this? And he comes to the conclusion, I didn't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, the only thing I had to do was just let God clothe me. That's all he had to do. Adam just had to sit there and let God. So God didn't say to Adam, now Adam, we got a problem here, but, but don't worry, we'll work together and we'll get it fixed. He says, you go get the animal and I'll kill it and then I'll skin it. And so you did a pretty good job sewing those fig leaves. So you sew and then you have a nice coat. He didn't do that. Adam didn't do anything and he got clothed. 
what he did do was actually a hindrance because God had to take those clothes off, you know. And he did nothing but just let God take those stupid fig leaf aprons off him and clothe him. That's all Adam did. Adam learned the truth when he was sitting there thinking about that, that the Jewish people learned at the Red Sea. When they were standing at the Red Sea, about to be destroyed by the Egyptians, and they're jumping up and down, and Moses has to say to them, stop doing that. He says, stand still in Exodus 14, 13. Fear ye not. Stand still and just see the salvation of the Lord. That's what he said. Which he will show you today. He said, for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you'll see him again no more. Forever, he said. When it comes to the work of atonement, we observe that God did do everything. And the great chapter on the crucifixion of the work of atonement is Psalm 22. And at the end of it, it talks about the seed of the righteous coming. And it says that they declare his righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that, that they say he did it. He hath done this. He did it. That's, that's what it is. Who was saved by the killing of the lamb and the placing of the blood on the doorpost at Passover? Who was saved? Firstborn. The firstborn was saved. But who killed the lamb and, and put the blood on the doorposts? The father. The father of the house. And what did the firstborn do to get spared from death? Nothing. And who was saved on Mount Moriah by the killing of the ram instead of himself? Isaac. Isaac was saved, right? And who killed the ram so that Isaac could be saved? Abraham did. Abraham. And what did Isaac do to get saved from death? Did nothing. And who was saved in Isaiah 53 by the killing of the Messiah? The ones who were saved were the sheep that went astray, were the ones that went everyone to his own way. And who killed the Messiah so they could be saved in Isaiah 53? In Isaiah 53, 4. He was stricken, smitten by God, of God. It's Isaiah 53, 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And what did the justified ones, so shall my righteous servant justify many in Isaiah 53. What did the justified ones do in order to be saved? Nothing. What happened to them is Isaiah 53, 5. With his stripes we are healed. They just got healed. They just stood there and got healed, like Adam just stood there and got clothed. In a very real sense, we look at Adam's amazement at what was done for him and that he did nothing, and we say, that's what happened to me as a believer. Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me, and from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess. The wonders of redeeming love. Whose redeeming love? His redeeming love. And my unworthiness. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? I caught, who caused his pain? I caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Now, <clears throat> that's why it says in Romans 5.11, and it uses these terms. And not only so, but we also join in, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, by whom, and here's the words, we have now received the atonement. Adam stood there, he received the new clothes. The firstborn is Passover, he received the exemption, which is what Passover means, Pesach. He received it. 
To the justified ones in Isaiah 53, they received the healing. Isaac received salvation from being killed. We received the atonement in Romans 5.11. What did we do to get saved? Nothing. We got saved. Like Adam, who stood there and he got clothed. Like Isaac and so forth. Okay. So in our first picture of Adam, we saw him standing there and we said, color him amazed. He looks amazed. He's just amazed at how God did it all. And he did something. What he did do actually got in God's way. Now, the next picture of Adam and Eve, they're standing there. And now picture them relieved. So there they are. Picture them there relieved. Why? Because in the first part of verse 7 of this chapter, it says the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. I don't get it. Because... They were naked before this. They were naked. They're always naked. So, but it wasn't a problem then. Why is it now a problem? Well, before they took the tree, before the separation occurred, the fatal separation, before the fatal aloneness occurred, they were filled with God inside. God was inside of them. And they were in God's presence, so they reflected God. God from the inside them. They reflected God. That was very good. Nothing to be ashamed about. You looked at them. You said, oh, I can see God because they reflected God, so they weren't separated from God. And that was, that was a pretty sight, okay? But now, their nakedness was a bad thing, because they didn't have God inside. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. To help encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program, our resource of the month is Tom Cantor's book, Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism, all about fatalistic Calvinism and what the Bible says about who can or can't resist God's will. Call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or order it online at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.